Amen. Would you turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus, Genesis, Exodus, the second book of the Bible, chapter 30, chapter 30. This is going to be our our springboard for the morning. Exodus chapter 30, verses 22 through 30. I added an extra verse, Eli, just so you know. So if it's not up there, don't worry about it. Okay? Exodus chapter 30, verses 22 through 30. Then the Lord said to Moses, Take the following fine spices, 50 shekels of liquid myrrh, half as much, that is 250 shekels of fragrant cinnamon, 250 shekels of fragrant calamus, 500 shekels of cassia, all according to the sanctuary shekel, and a hin of olive oil. Make these into a sacred anointing oil, a fragrant blend, the work of a perfumer, It will be the sacred anointing oil. Then use it to anoint the tent of meeting, the ark of the covenant, the table and all its articles, the lampstand and its accessories, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering and all its utensils, and the basin with its stand. You shall consecrate them so they will be most holy And whatever touches them will be holy. And then, anoint Aaron and his sons also, consecrating them to serve me as priests. Now, let's go back to the big passage. There's one common word in this passage that stands out. And that word is anoint. Anointing oil. And the Hebrew word for anoint, mashkash, can I say it? Mashkash, say it. Mashkash, try again. Okay. Is actually the word for the Messiah, the chosen one. So when you look at this passage and you look at this idea of, of God telling Moses to create this oil for a very specific purpose, He's creating it in such a unique way just when he built the ark. Everything that God did was so uniquely made. He made the ark in such detail. He made the tabernacle in such detail. He made the ark of the covenant in such detail. And even with oil, even with a simple anointing oil, he used such specific details Because that's how beautifully creative God is. I mean, think about how He made us. He made us as beings. He just didn't put a skeleton and some skin on us. He put lungs that allow us to breathe. He put a heart that pumps our blood. We needed blood like oil to go through our veins. But everything God did, He never took a shortcut. And everything that God created had a purpose. And when you look at this whole passage, this is one that the Israelites were were on the journey to the promised land. Going into the promised land, God stopped Moses. And He says, we are going to begin to identify that which is holy. And everyone who touches that which is holy is also what? Holy. 
And Aaron and Moses are going to be set apart for very specific reasons to be, to be my presence and my power amongst the Israelites. There's really kind of two different forms of Christianity that, that really kind of hold to this whole idea of anointing oil. Um, it's Catholicism and the Pentecostals. Any Pentecostals in here? Woo! You guys are weak. If you're Pentecostal, you are not Pentecostal. That's not how Pentecostals behave. Marie, you're Pentecostal. And we love you for that. Never change. But there's a lot of you that come from a Catholic background. And there's certain rituals that are performed that, that you remember and then you step into a Christian church and because you're, where a lot of people aren't Pentecostal or a certain way, you, you lose that, that ritual component, right? It's one of the reasons why we do communion every week. I remember uh, one time a woman didn't do communion for 28 years because she felt that she was shunned by the Catholic Church. And we do uh, communion just like the Catholic Church. They come forward, they take it, we bless you, you sit down. There are some differences in, in our understanding what happens with the bread and the cup, but it's neither here nor there. The fact of the matter is every time we celebrate the bread and the cup, we are celebrating the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen? Okay? Though it may be different, they believe it turns into the actual body and blood. We would say that it's done in remembrance, that we are saying that this is a representation of his body and blood. But actually, when you think about it, it's the same thing. In that, both churches are celebrating the gospel message. Amen? That was a really bad amen. Amen? Here's the problem you just did the very same thing that most people do. You drew the line in your heart, the differences. Because every time you come to communion, all you're doing is celebrating the gospel message. Whether you're in a Catholic church or Protestant church, whether you believe it turns into his body and blood, which I'm saying I don't believe that, but I celebrate it. Both churches this morning are celebrating the power and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen? Seriously, we got to get away from these, these things that are so similar, yet we make such differences. Shame on us. That was a little high horse, wasn't that? Good. Sometimes you need that, right? Sometimes you need that. And you know what? I'll go to defense for my Catholic brothers and sisters. You're welcome. But there are things in Scripture that we actually miss out on. Because when, when Moses was given a declaration to anoint certain things, God was saying, I'm going to set them apart for a very specific purpose. And when we look at Scripture, I, I've been saying this a lot lately. I've been saying this a lot. Whatever, whatever God began in Genesis, He fulfills in the Gospels. Right? Right? Okay? Whatever God began in Genesis, He fulfills in the Gospels. And all throughout Scriptures, the anointing of oil had a very divine significance. Can I say that again? Whenever anyone or anything was anointed, it had a very divine significance. Let me walk through four things in Scripture that were anointed. 
first and foremost, were people. It said in Exodus chapter 30, verse 30, that Aaron and his sons were anointed as priests. Now, there were three groups of people that were anointed for a place of position. You had priests, you had prophets that came along later in the Scriptures, and you had kings. Whenever kings were put into a place of power, there was a huge ritual that the king would come down, they would anoint the king with oil, and he was set apart as royalty. Whenever priests and prophets were anointed, they were set apart for holiness. Holiness, not that they were different and weren't supposed to live like everyone else, but they were supposed to be the pathway to God. And the only reason this came to be was out of fear. I mean, think about this. If you have studied the Scriptures, you know that when the tent of meetings was set up, Moses welcomed all people to go into the tent. He welcomed all people to meet with God face to face as a friend meets with a friend. Okay? Look at Scripture. But people were terrified. And it's true with me. I had a conversation with a friend of mine on Friday that that people look at me as as set apart as everyone else. You're the pastor. You're the priest. You're the holy man. My one, friend's, my one friend's wife calls me, oh, that's your holy man. Like, like I'm a sage, like, right? Like I'm a sheik. Like I'm something like that. Like, like I just walk around and just, oh, all day long. No. And I actually think that that's probably one of the demises of the church. Vocational pastors. Because when you look at Scripture, that's not the case. We are all the body of royal priesthoods. We are all priests and priestesses if we are followers of Jesus Christ. But because of knowing humanity, God said that you all will be set apart for a season. A season. The season was very long. Imagine 2,000 years of a season. Imagine winter for 2,000 years. Okay, we all want a season of 2,000 years of summer, but never winter. So you had these specific people that were set apart for a very divine role. Whether it was royalty or leading people into the presence of God. But then you also had structure. You had the tabernacle. You had the Ark of the Covenant. You had utensils. I mean, think about that. Glasses and mugs and chalices, right? Like imagine fighting like Jesus' chalice. Imagine that. We think it would be like this gold chalice. More than likely it was wood. More than likely, it was like the one cup that they could find underneath the table. It was not gold and and scripted that this is time that we will take communion. It was, we are sitting down and we are eating a meal together and here is my cup. Here is my wooden chalice. And what I drink out of it, I want you to share in my cup. Of what? Suffering. That's a fun cup to drink. But he set them apart. And he did it for a very particular reason. He wanted humanity to start breaking the dichotomy of God versus me. He wanted humanity to start walking into the things of God and participating in the things of God. And we miss that. 
Do you know another thing that was uh, anointed was guests. So we threw a Halloween party Friday night. Okay, my wife and I love to party. That doesn't seem very religious, does it? We are very religious. Matter of fact, we're not. We're very faith-filled, right? And it was awesome. And do you know back in Scripture time when guests came into the home that you would anoint your guest with oil because they were significant in your life. They had value in your life. They were people that you, that you put on a certain pedestal for that, more, that moment when they walked into your home that you identified them as significant and special and even family. And even family. Let me read to you from Psalm 23. Here's a very unique psalm. It says here, this is what David said, Psalm 23. And you've heard this a thousand times if you've been in in church. It says, you prepare a feast for me in the presence of of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Why did King David say this? Because he knew that when he was welcomed into the presence of others, of guests, that he would anoint him. But what God would do is that when David was surrounded with his enemies, God would anoint David with his presence. Think about this. David was invited to Saul's house to celebrate. King Saul. And who was David's number one enemy? King Saul. So this is what Saul did. Hey David, come on over. Come here, you're David. I'll be Saul. Okay? Saul was tall. And he would anoint him. Hey, thanks for coming as he starts stabbing him in the back. And he's anointing him with oil. Go take my choice seat. And then Saul goes into the corner and he starts conspiring against David. Hey, make sure my spear's next to me. So that while he's eating and while he's drinking and as he's drinking our choice wine, I'm going to chuck a spear at his head. Did that happen in Scripture? It did. And David knew that even though he was anointed as a guest in the presence of his enemies, God's anointing and God's presence was more upon him. How cool is that? I mean, think about that moment when David wrote that. Think about that intensity and that intimacy that that he knew that after he walked into Saul's castle, into his home, after he had a a spear thrown at him, after he was chased at, that all along that God's anointing, Saul had no idea that he blessed David with protection. Bam! Drop the mic. You have no fear or concern in the presence of your worst circumstances if you have the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit living in your life. May I say something? Amen. You guys are weak. Seriously. I know that every conflict that I step into, that God has anointed me, that whom shall I fear? Because your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Anointing was also for medicinal reasons. We see the first healing of anointing 
in Leviticus chapter 14. And this practice continued all throughout the New Testament. Matter of fact, even though when the, when the disciples would pray over people, the healing power would fall, they said, let's bring back this, not this ritual, but this, this, this opportunity of ministering within our churches. And so even though the disciples would pray and people were healed, they said, let's start anointing people too. Let's, let's bring it back. Let's, let's mesh the old and the new together to represent that it is the same Christ, the same Messiah, the same anointing that was back in Leviticus. This is why we want to know our Word. Because when we know our Word, we see a bigger picture than just a couple chapters. There was nothing supernatural about the oil. The only thing that was supernatural about the oil was the, de- the declaration which, which, which with it was made by. The only thing supernatural about the anointing was the declaration with which it was made by. You see all these things on TV, the handkerchief, the oils, the this, the that. Buy some holy water, buy some holy anointing oil. There's nothing in there. It's the declaration by which it was made by. And whose name it was made in. Let's bring this full circle, okay? Turn with me to Luke chapter 4, verse 18 and 19. And I want to read the same passage that Omar read when we began worship. Jesus said this. This is the first time that He preached in the synagogue. The first time He stepped out. He was baptized. He went into the wilderness. He fasted. He went through the whole journey. And then He stood before the synagogue, which we would call church. And He said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon Me. For He has anointed Me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent Me to proclaim that captives will be released that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. For He has anointed me. He has called me the Chosen One. I am the One that you have prayed for thousands of years to come to manifest God Himself. I am the One. And it's not through oil, but now it's through God's very presence the Holy Spirit. In the whole life of Jesus, we don't don't see for, for the first 33 years of His life Him ever being anointed. But we see this new anointing of the Holy Spirit upon Him. We see this new power, this new identity, This new position that he's walking in that that he didn't change the words of the Old Testament. He didn't change anything up. He didn't take Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2 in the creation story and made it better or different or rewrote it. He didn't take Exodus 30 and and rewrite what what should be in the oil. He didn't do any of that. He didn't push away the Ark of the Covenant. He didn't push away the importance of all these different rituals. He celebrated all of them. But the uniqueness about Jesus is that His anointing was that of the Holy Spirit. 
from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet, to the depths of his souls, to the extension of his arms. There was this power and presence upon him that for all who even just looked in the eyes of Jesus, they knew something was unique. Yet they couldn't put their hand on it. And then I love, turn with me now to Mark chapter 14. Check this out. It says, meanwhile, chapter 14, Mark chapter 14, verse 3. It says, meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy. Side note. How cool is that? He's at the home of Simon. A man who had previously had leprosy. A man who was previously out of community because of his ailments. A man who previously was not allowed to have a vocation and a life. A man who had previously been excommunicated from his wife and his children because of a sickness and an ailment. But the key word is what? Previously. Jesus had healed him. He was welcomed back into community. He was welcomed back into his family. He was welcomed back into society. He was welcomed back into just being a man. There are things that make us feel like we are not men. There are things that make us feel like you are not a woman. And what Jesus does is He comes in and He redeems that. He changes it. He heals it. That you are no longer previously the person you used to be. Thank you. While He was eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume made from from essence of nard. An extra hour of sleep did not do me good. She broke open the jar and poured the perfume over his head. You know what I love about this story? First and foremost, the men were infuriated. A woman walks in with the most expensive jar of perfume. That's a year's wages. And on top of that, she was a prostitute. She was dirty. She was nasty. She was a whore. She was, she was excommunicated from us. She had nothing to do with us. And yet the person, this woman comes in. She takes a year's worth of savings. And she walks up to Jesus and she just dumps it on his head. And the reason she does this is that she anoints him for his death. She anoints him for his greatest work humanity will ever see. She prepares him as the anointed one to go to the cross for our sins. That we may have life and no longer have to experience the penalty of death. Who's home? The one who was previously ill. Who anointed the one who was previously looked at as dirty and nasty. And because the power of the Holy Spirit had touched these two people's lives, our Heavenly Father allowed them to be used for the most preparation for one of the most, for the most sacred moment humanity will ever, ever see. 
And the next greatest sacred moment will be when Jesus comes back through the sky. Jesus was first and foremost anointed by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's a mystery we will not explain away. We cannot. It's something when we get to heaven, God will probably sit us all down and say, hey guys, you gotta, let me explain it to you so you can fully understand it. And throughout years, we've tried to explain this away so it fits into our little mind and into our thinking, into our paradigms and the way that we're wired, that, that I'm very analytical, so I need to figure it this way. I'm, I'm, I'm very touchy-feely, so I need to understand it this way. I'm, I'm very relational, so I need to know it this way. And God's going to say, none of you got it. My fullness was wrapped up in this man who was my son. But he was man. And in that being fully God, fully man, he was prepared as the anointed one for his death and resurrection. It says in Acts chapter 8, verse 17, And Peter and John laid their hands upon these believers, and they received the Holy Spirit. When we become followers of Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes upon us and comes within us. So often we feel like we, we're followers of Jesus and, and, and we worship Him from a distance. And at moments up close, and at moments maybe even holding His hand. But, but I share this all the time. This is, this is something we all struggle with. What Jesus had done was that He had went to the cross that we would experience the very same anointing that He had. Which was the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit anointing our heads, filling our bodies, chasing out the darkness in our souls. And even though we still have this tension of, 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 of knowing Christ and living in a sinful world, the Holy Spirit is constantly wanting to push out the things that keep us far away from God. And every time that we recognize the Holy Spirit in our lives, what we are saying is, Holy Spirit, You are the presence of Jesus Christ who was sent by the Father and you live within me, but what I'm doing is I'm giving you more space to fill my soul. To fill my being. And it's not that we get more of Him. It's that we recognize His position and power in our lives more clearly. Did you hear that? It's not that I come to church that I, can, that I can drink more of the Holy Spirit. I think we, we oftentimes think that. We drink more of Him. I just need more. More and more. No, what we do is the fullness of God lives within us. But because of the world, because of sin, because of death, because of circumstance, it says in Scripture that we, we quench Him. We push them into a corner. 
that we recognize the power and the presence that He wants to have in our lives. We have a very specific anointing that God has given us if we are followers of Jesus. We have the ability and the capability of knowing God like a father. Just as Brandon, Becky, Ben, and Luke are my children, and they are part of my DNA, and they know me probably better in some ways, um, better than I realize. When we become a child of God, it's the same thing. The difference is it's like an adoption. We don't always believe it. We don't always believe that that our Heavenly Father loves us so much that the moment that He took us into His family, everything is rightly ours. And if you know anyone who's been adopted, and there are people in this room who have been adopted, there's, there's, there's two reactions. One is overwhelmingly joy that someone loved me so much that I can take full advantage in a good way of this new identity. But then there's other people who have been through adoption that they, they, they believe it, but they don't understand it. And their whole world is this wrestling match. Why was I given up on? But why do these people love me so much more than this individual ever could? But when we become a child of God, God anoints us. And here's what he anoints us with, and I'm going to use Scripture to walk right through it. First, our identity. It says here in Galatians 3, 28-29, There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, Protestant or Catholic, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, You are the true children of who? Abraham. Do you remember the blessing that God gave to Abraham? That you will be the father of many nations. You are his heirs. And God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. Everything that God had told Abraham would happen, he's saying that same blessing is upon us. The same way that God had called Abraham, He has called us. But He called us in even a more intimate way. Abraham knew God from a distance. But because we have the Holy Spirit, He fills us and we have Him within us. It says here in 1 Corinthians 1, 21-22, It is God who enables us along with you to stand firm for Christ. He has commissioned us and He has identified us as His own by placing the Holy Spirit in our hearts as the first installment that guarantees everything He has promised for us. He has set us apart. When you come to Christ and you are a follower of Jesus, there should be something unique that happens in you. That there are times that you're like, I'm not that guy anymore. There are moments you're like, I'm not that woman anymore. There are times that you're saying, I'm not going to behave like that because I'm different. There are times saying, I'm going to learn to say yes instead of always saying no. Something happens in you that you realize that you are different. 
that something unique and powerful has happened in you, that you are set apart, that something is different, that, that I'm no longer that person. I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to be that. I don't want to be the person that always says no to invitations. I don't want to be the person that always says no to everything. I want to be the person who says yes. Yes to God. Yes to promises. And no to the things that distract me. It says here, and Omar used this verse last week, 1 Timothy 1.7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. When the Holy Spirit lives in us, He gives us power. And too often we think about His power is that when we step into MC or we step into a Sunday morning that that God's power is going to be present among the people that, that know I'm a Christian and know that I love them. Cool. That's great. But I want to know the power of God. That I am no longer a slave to fear. That I am no longer a slave to materialism. That I am no longer a slave to my circumstances because the power of Jesus indwells me and lives in me. And then when I step into work or I step into Starbucks or I step into church or I step in with my family that has issues, that I am the power of Jesus Christ. Because they see a new liberty, a new freedom, a new presence about me. That's the power of Jesus. The power of Jesus is that when you go through hell, you find heaven in it. When you go through loss, God meets you and He gives you something new. That when you feel that you are broken, that He makes you whole and better. Your lives should be better if you're a follower of Jesus. They should not be worse. If you are going through hard times, which we all do, it's an opportunity to say, what are you drawing me into? What are you drawing me into? I've been to eight funerals and multiple viewings in the last two months. And some are people I love. And I keep saying, God, what are you doing? I'm going to meet you right where you are, Rob. So I can comfort you to be a comfort to others in their pain. And then there's moments that I go through celebration in life and awesome things are going on. And then I point to Jesus. It's all because of Him. And then I go through a period of waiting. Years of waiting for what's next. I got a tattoo in my arm. And everyone says, what does it say? I say, I can't tell you. And everyone gets mad at me. Because God gave me a promise. And the moment it's fulfilled, I'll tell the world. But I am waiting on the promises of God. I'm going to push through this life because I know in my dreams and my moments of quietness and prayer and worship and seeking when I'm alone, that God is speaking to my soul. There has to be this moment. Something shifts. Then you realize that you are an anointed one. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are anointed by God. That you have a new identity. 
that you have a new purpose and you have a power living in you. And yes, it conquers all things. It conquers death. It conquers sickness. It conquers pain. And I know that there have been thousands of people that I have prayed for for healing. And I know that a lot of them have not been healed. But I know for those few that I have prayed for and I have seen God's healing power, it only makes me want to push into them harder. I know that when I go through tragedy and I feel that God is not there, that when I push into Him, He's always present. And it's not Jesus sitting far away. It's the presence of Jesus living in me. It's funny, I'm at this stage in pastoring that I want so much for you. Seriously. I'm at this stage that I want something so much more for you. I don't want you drinking milk. You know? I want you to begin to feast on the life that Jesus has for you. And it only becomes through recognizing your identity in Christ. It's not about being spiritual. There's nothing spiritual but Jesus. There's nothing spiritual but Jesus. It says outside Jesus, everything is dead. Everything is dead. Everything is dead. But in Jesus, all things are made new and alive. I want to see you live in the victory, the identity of who you are. I want to see you that, that in, in your circumstances that, that you know that you are set apart, that you can step away from your circumstances and know that God works all things out for the good who love Him and are called by His name. That verse is for me. But I also want you to know this, that God's power is made perfect in your life. No more addiction. No, no more caving in. Men, I'm going to say something. No more being a wussy. Seriously. No more being a wussy at work with, with how you do things. Women, it's time to be the princesses that God has called you to. Right? Go for it. It's time that we rise up and be the people of God. That when people see us, they're like, there's something resting on you. And you're like, yeah. His name is the Holy Spirit because Jesus gave it to me. Amen? I'm serious. We all need to be pushed. Prodded. That's my role. Want to know what I told my leadership team? Let me tell you. I said, there's two kind of leaders. You got a pace car. Let's just go around the track nice and slow. Let's all go the same speed. Go the same speed. But then you have stallions. You have that one that's going to run you so hard and the slowest person behind, the, the, the horse runs around and bites him in the butt to protect them, to run hard, to strengthen them, to let them see the fullness of who they are in God's creation. That's who I am. I'm not a stallion. I'm not calling myself that. That would be weird and awkward. <laughs> but I believe that God has called me into this church. When you're hurt to love you. 
when you're broken to sit beside you. But if you're just being a knucklehead and lazy, lazy, sometimes i got to bite you in the butt. It's no fun about doing that. But I'm telling you this, God wants more. 